that song, Awesome God, takes me back 25 years ago to my church in Winchester, Kentucky, when I was in seventh grade, and we would sing that song all the time. And aren't you thankful that here we are 25 years later, and our God is still an awesome God. Amen. Amen. Take a moment and welcome those around you. I want to welcome you to Northside Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you are here. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it. Amen? Even when it's raining, right, we will still rejoice because God is good. You can return to your seats. You can be seated. Um, I want to extend a special welcome to, to those of you. I know several of you, this is your first time here, or maybe first time here in a long time. Uh, if this is your first time here, I am Pastor Aaron. Uh, we are so glad to have you. Uh, there is a place in the bulletin uh, for you to fill out some information about yourself. If you would like to know more about our church or how you can get connected uh, with us and the work that God is doing here, uh, you can fill that out and tear that off and put that in uh, the offering plate. And we want you to know that you are loved by the creator of the universe. Um, and what we're going to talk about this morning in the message, I mean, is life-changing truth. That if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we're all about. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel loved. But if you leave here and feel welcomed and loved and you don't learn about Jesus, then we have failed you. So if you, by the time this is over, still don't know how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, make sure you seek somebody out and say, hey, I want to know Jesus. I want that same joy that I saw while you guys were worshiping and talking about walking out of that grave and having life. I want to know that. Um, and we, we want you to know that as well. This morning for our praying the scripture, it's from Psalm 3, and the choir is actually going to sing a song that also is from Psalm 3. So this will kind of be before us a couple times uh, this morning. But the scripture that I want you to pray through and think through here for about a minute, says this, verse 3, Psalm 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And then verse 4 says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So take the next minute, look at that verse, and just let the scripture prompt you as you cry out to the Lord this morning.
High five. High five for being fast. All right. She's fast. Everybody else is slow. All right. Come on, come on. Where's all my friends at? Where are all my friends at? Gather around. Malachi is slow. Come on, Malachi. Come on, come on, come on. All right. So I got a question for you guys. Does anybody know what we celebrated two days ago on Friday? What was it? Valentine's Day, right? And when we talk about Valentine's Day, maybe you got some cool gifts, right? But we, we talk about love, right? Have you guys heard that word love? So here's what I want to know. What are some things that you love? Just tell me, what do you love? I right, we love family. Good Mommy answer. And Mommy and Daddy. What about your family, your other family? Your sister and your brother. You love them too, right? Yeah, yeah, we love them too. What do you love? All right, your stuffed friends, is that what you said? Awesome. Gotta love our stuffed friends. Gotta love our stuffed friends. I had a, a friend for a long time. Stuffed friend. What else do we love? What else do we love? Family. Family. All right. Doggies. All right. Love doggies. Camping. Kitty cats. All right. There's all kinds of stuff that we love. So there was a, uh, some people that asked a bunch of boys and girls, what does love mean? So they went to these four, five, six-year-olds, and they said, what does love mean? And here's what they said. You tell me if you think this is what love means. One little girl, she was age five, said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. That doesn't sound... Does your mom and dad ever do that, just smell each other, Ben? That's not right, right? We don't do that. All right, right? All right, here's, here's what Chrissy said. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Now, look, I love you guys, but I will not share my McDonald's french fries with you. Those are for me. Um, Here's what Elaine said. She was age five. She said, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. That, that, yeah, see? That's love right there. All right, what about this one? Here's what Mary Ann, she was four. She said, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. So you leave your puppy alone, and then the puppy just licks your face. All right, one more. Love is when my mommy, this is what Danny said. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. Now that's really, really sweet, isn't it? So what is love? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible gives us a great definition of love. It's in Romans. It says, for God demonstrated or God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, right this past Friday, right, you maybe got a Valentine's present. Maybe you went to school and all your friends gave you Valentine's cards. And, right, and, and you, maybe your mom said, oh, you're my Valentine. But God said he loved us so much and that he sent Jesus to die for us. And so, us big kids in here, while you guys go to children's church, that's what we're going to talk about, us big kids in here. We're going to talk about God's love and how he died on the cross. And so, what I want you guys to know is how much God loves you, how much we love you, and we pray that one day you will trust and know God's love as well. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the ability to laugh. Thank you, God, for the creativity of, of little boys and girls. And I'm sure if I had asked our kids this morning, what is love, they would have given us some good, cute, funny answers as well. God, we know you love us.
And Lord, we just want to love you back. And Lord, that's one reason why we, we do so much for our kids here, is because we want to share the love of God with them. So Lord, we just pray for those who are going to be teaching them today. God, as they just tell the stories and they just point them to the love of Jesus, that these kids would come to know that and would believe in that, and we as parents would show them that love as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Again, as we sing, glorify thy name, everyone. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. We're just going to look at the first two verses this morning. And then in weeks going forward, we'll pick it up a little bit and look at, at more verses at a time. But this is these verses are so important and so life-changing. I want us to spend an adequate amount of time on them. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You may be seated. It was the fall of 1992. Uh, just a few months before that, my family and I moved from uh, north of Cincinnati, Ohio to Winchester, Kentucky. We began to attend church in the church where my mother grew up, Central Baptist Church. That was the church where we would sing Awesome God. And so I was not excited about being in Kentucky. I didn't want to move. Uh, the lady that was kind of overseeing the youth group at the time invited me on several occasions to join them that fall of 92 in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, for a youth retreat and I kept resisting but by the grace of God she kept persisting and I went and uh, through that my life was changed I remember it was the last night we were sitting in a conference room it was just our youth group and there were probably 30 or 40 of us 
and we were sitting there all the lights had been turned off there were candles along the floor in the middle of those candles was a cross and in my hand was a piece of paper and a pen and that night we were to take that pen and write down on that piece of paper a sin that was in our life not a sin that we may have been committing every now and then but a sin that we were struggling with two and a half years prior to this so in 1990 I had given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ I was a believer in Christ I was his son and in that room at that moment I was reminded of my sinfulness so the Lord brought to my mind a sin that I had been committing quite regularly my mom and dad will probably watch this at some point if they're not watching it now so I'm confessing this to them as well um, sorry mom and dad sorry mom and dad uh, I had a problem with my mouth um, what I said a lot of curse words and inappropriate things that would come out of my mouth it was just it was common even at 12 years old that that's how I spoke and uh, and I knew at that moment under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I could not continue to proclaim faith in Christ and continue to speak like that so I wrote that sin down and I walked up to that cross that was on the floor and I took a hammer and a nail I nailed it to the cross it was the most powerful imagery that I had seen in my life up to that point of demonstrating what Christ had done for me on the cross that he had taken my sins including cursing which by the grace of God that night I was done the, the language left my mouth it was a miraculous thing the Spirit of God just transformed my heart and my mouth on that very night and so it was just a reminder of what Jesus did for our sins. And I wanted to be Christ committed. It's the name of the sermon, Christ committed, but it was also the theme for that entire weekend. That I was going to be committed to Christ. And that meant confessing my sins and trusting in Jesus to forgive those sins and to deliver me from those sins. Let me just quickly give you a recap where we've been the last several weeks before we come to our verses. Week one, we did an overview of 1 John, right? We looked at chapter 5, verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, right? That you may know. That's the title of this series in 1 John, that we may know that we have eternal life. Then the second week, we looked at the first four verses of 1 John. And we saw that we must have a right belief in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and our Savior. And what we say about him matters. And he was a historical person that was God in the flesh, and we can believe him. And then last week, we spent time looking at sin, that we must have a right understanding of our sin, that we are not going to be perfect, but we cannot continue to live in habitual sin, but we must confess that sin and turn from that sin. And that leads us to these two verses today. The thing I want you to see today is this, that you and I can trust in Christ's sufficient work for us on the cross. And man, when you and I begin to get that and that begins to take hold of us, our lives are forever changed. So just some things I want you to notice this morning from our verse. The first thing I want you to notice that will be on the screen is simply this, do not sin. Do not sin. Look what John writes here, beginning in verse 1. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John is correcting those 
who don't care about their sin. Those who, if you go back to verse 6, say, hey, we have fellowship with God and we live in, we're, we're, we claim to live in light, but we're actually living in darkness. We're living in outright sin. And so John says, no, listen, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, what is sin? Well, John gives us a really helpful definition in chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 4, if you want to look at this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What is sin? It is lawlessness. It is our man's refusal to submit to God's word, to submit to his law. We are living lawless. We are living apart from or outside of God's law, what is best for us. So God's word says love one another. So when we refuse to love one another, what are we doing? Sinning, because we are breaking God's law. Right? God's word says bring up your children in, in the instruction of the Lord. So when you and I, if we make no effort to raise our children up in the instruction of the Lord, right, we are sinning. God's word says humble yourselves. So when you are prideful, you are sinning against God. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion against God. And so John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He doesn't want us to continue to live a lawless life. Look how he begins this verse, verse 1. My little what? Children. I love that. This is, this is John probably up there in age. And he's a spiritual father to these believers that he's writing to. And he says, you are my little children, my dear children. As a father is concerned about his children, John is concerned about them. He says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. As sons and daughters of God, as those of us who have been saved by grace through faith, those of us who have been made new through the Spirit of God, we are not to live in sin. So here's the application for you related to this first point. It's not on the screen, but it's simply this. Pursue holiness, brother and sister in Christ. You have been saved, you have been transformed, not so that you continue to live in sin, but so that you pursue holiness, that you pursue Christ-likeness, that you want to be more like Jesus. Now listen, it is possible to live a holy life. It is impossible in this body to live a perfect life. So I'm not calling you to live a perfect life. That's not what John is saying. In fact, he's gonna add on to that in just a second. But what he is calling you to is a holy life, a life that has been set apart from God and you are going to pursue that. You are not gonna pursue lawlessness but you want to find yourself under the word and instruction of God. The deepest longings of your heart should be that you not sin. That should be the deepest desire of your heart. Not that, oh, this is sin, I want to run after it, but God, I don't want to sin. And church, I love that song, Glorious Day, that we sang this morning. It is really, really hard to sing that song and not just start jumping up and down when it says you ran out of the grave. Like, do you realize that? Like, we were dead and we're alive through Jesus Christ, amen? So why do we want to run back after that which we were living in before? We should want to live differently. We should pursue holiness. 
But then look what John says. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right? Pursue holiness, but, but if anyone does sin. So let me first of all say to those of you that if in this room today, this morning, you have this mentality that you don't care about your sin. I want to call you to repentance right now, right here. Especially if you are a believer in Christ, because you are not to sin. I don't want you to say, I don't care. But then I also want those of you who walked in here this morning, this past week, having sinned, having dealt with that sin, and that sin's weighing on you, and maybe you walked in in despair. I want you to understand there's a word for you here. Because here's what John says, but if anyone does sin, John recognizes the possibility of believers committing sin. John Stott, commenting on the Greek, says this. It clearly, the Greek here, indicates the author's conviction that acts of sin are possible in the Christian opposed to the continual sinful habit. So John is not saying here if anyone sins and the idea is you're living in this habitual sin over and over and over again, but if anyone sins, that is you commit an act of sin. So let's go back to the sin I struggled with when I was 12 years old, right? I'm not saying I may never say a curse word. If anyone sins, I may, and if I do, I must confess that. But it should not be the pattern of my life that if you hear me at Walmart, you're like, that guy can't be a pastor. What is coming out of his mouth, right? That should not be the pattern of your life. Yes, there will be acts of sins that you will commit. And the question becomes then, so what? What happens? What happens to you when you're on your way home and somebody cuts you off and then instead of saying bless him, right, you curse him? Like what happens? What happens this week when you and your spouse are you're tired and you're, you're frustrated, you get into an argument and, and you sin? Or what happens when, when your child comes up to you and in your frustration you blow it and, and, and you lose your cool in front of them? What then? What happens for us as believers when we do sin? And man, this is good news of the gospel church that is simply this there is hope there is hope even for us who know better than to sin when we continue to sin there is hope and that's the second thing i want you to see this morning and that is this we don't despair when we sin because jesus christ is the sacrifice for our sins and please don't misunderstand me i am in no way today diminishing sin if you are living in sin you need to confess it and repent of it but the good news of the gospel is this. When you sin, there is still forgiveness for you. There's forgiveness. Aren't you thankful, church, that when you sin, God doesn't say, I'm done with you. There are no second or third chances. No, there is, there is hope, and there is hope in Jesus. So notice what he says. There's three things that, that John says here. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So that's the first thing. We have an advocate with the Father. The Greek word for advocate is parakletes. Parakletes. Uh, Vines writes on this word, advocate. The Greek word is used in a court of justice to denote a legal assistant or counsel for the defense. It's one who pleads another's cause. The word advocate simply means one who is called in to help or one who comes alongside in time of need. John says that Jesus is our advocate. He is the one who has been called in to help. He is the one who comes alongside in time of need. So let me ask you this question, church. What is Jesus Christ 
doing right now. He is advocating on your behalf. While you sit here, in the midst of maybe one of the greatest weeks of your life or one of the worst, as you sit here dealing with the weight of your sin, maybe the shame of your sin, maybe feeling that I'm tired of this, I'm failing everybody, I'm letting everybody down, at this moment, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father advocating on your behalf and mine. He is speaking in your defense. Jesus, at this moment, looks to the Father and he says, that young man who's trying his best to faithfully preach 1 John, that man, Aaron Hornsby, who has failed many times in his life, he belongs to me. He is mine. Jesus is advocating for you and I right now. Now, a defendant defends the accused largely upon the merits of the case. You don't have to raise your hand. Some of you maybe have been there. You've been in a courtroom, and you had a lawyer defending you. I've never been in that situation, but I have had a lawyer argue on my behalf. That was about four years ago when Ryan and I began the process to adopt Malachi. We had to have a lawyer, Brian Welke. And our lawyer, who knew the law and knew, had the ability to go before the judge, right, he had went through all the necessary steps, right? We had to do the, the background, we had to do the home study, we had to do all of that. And so our lawyer went before the judge and said, listen, there is this young man, Nahum, uh, Nahum uh, we're going to call him Malachi, he needs to be adopted. And what I have here is a family, and their merits are good. Right? He's, they're a loving family. They're a good family. They've done the background. There's been no felonies, no arrests, no reason for you not to put him in their family. Right? Brian Welke stood before that lawyer and argued upon the merits of our ability to raise a son. That is not what Jesus Christ does, though. Jesus is not in heaven right now advocating upon my merits or upon your merits. So what is he advocating based upon? Well, John continues. This is the second thing. We have an advocate, a defender with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Don't skip over this. Jesus Christ the righteous. And I think words matter here. He is Jesus, right? This speaks to his humanity. You and I as humans needed a human to die. We needed someone, a human, to die for our sins. He is Jesus, the Christ. This speaks to his deity. He is God's anointed one. Listen, if he was just a man, then he could only pay for his sins. He couldn't pay for mine. He could only pay for his. So he is Jesus Christ, the what? The righteous. 1 Peter 1.19 says, that Jesus was a lamb without blemish or spot. If Jesus Christ had sinned, he would have had to die for his own sins, let alone for mine. So Jesus Christ is not just any advocate. He is the righteous advocate. He is the perfect advocate. And because he is the perfect advocate, you and I can add nothing to what Christ has done. Nothing in our hands we bring simply to the cross we cling. 
Like, what can you add to what Jesus has already done? So when you stand before the Father, it's not, yeah, it's Jesus, but God, look what I brought you. There's nothing we have to offer God because of our sinfulness. He is perfect. You can't improve upon perfect. So hear me, church. The one who acted righteously, Jesus Christ, now stands in the presence of the Father, and he advocates for the unrighteous. My righteous king, my savior, standing before the Father, and he is advocating for me. But I know my heart. I know the wretchedness, wretchedness of, of my life. And yet here's Jesus advocating for me. For me. John's not done. He says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins see Jesus Christ is not only the righteous perfect advocate but he is also the one who is the sacrifice for sin every single one of us man we have the same problem and our problem is this Ezekiel 18 tells us the soul that sins must die we're all sinners we all stand condemned under a holy just God which means we all deserve his wrath you deserve it let's be clear no one deserves heaven if God had chosen to only save one person none of us could have said but it's not fair it is fair you got hell that's what you deserved so anyone who is saved it's by grace and so here we have this problem we are under the just condemnation and wrath of God you say, that's not good news. No, it's not. You're going to hell, and I'm going to hell. So then how can the gospel be good news? It's because this. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. The good news is God's wrath has been averted. God's wrath has been poured out upon Jesus Christ, and therefore doesn't have to be poured out upon me. That's what propitiation means it's a big word it's probably not a word you have used in your conversations as of late right but it's an important word propitiation it means this the removal of the wrath of God against sinners by the death of Jesus you see our sins needed to be removed and God's wrath needed to be satisfied Lau and Nida and their explanation of the Greek language says Christ himself is the means of by which our sins are forgiven. Jesus is the propitiation. Notice it doesn't say, right, that Jesus is just the propitiator. So in the Old Testament, right, you had high priests. They would have been propitiators, right? They were offering up sacrifices that were brought for sin. The blood had been shed. They were offering it up. That's what the priest was. The high priests weren't dying in place of other sins, they were offering up this sacrifice. Jesus, right, offers up to God a sacrifice. But Jesus is also the propitiation in that he is the sacrifice. Jesus is the one who suffered upon that cross, who was nailed to the cross. As one song I saw this week talked about five wounds, right, the wounds from his hands and his feet and the crown upon his thorns, right, his blood flowing out so that the wrath of God would be satisfied 
so that your sins and mine could be forgiven. I told you last week, God is just going to sweep your sins under the rug. They have to be dealt with. Either you deal with them for eternity in hell, or you trust in Jesus who has dealt with them upon the cross. So hear me this morning. Jesus is the righteous advocate. He is the sacrifice that dealt with the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God. He is the righteous advocate pleading on our behalf. And what does he plead? What does Jesus plead? Oh, hey, God, you see you see that, uh, that young man down there? He actually came back to Sunday night church. He wasn't just there for Sunday morning. He came back Sunday night. And he actually showed up for prayer meeting. Like, look at him, God. He's worthy. Is that what Jesus does? Is Jesus this morning pleading with the Father? Hey, Father, did you see that? They put a check in the offering plate. They tithed. Did you see that, Father? Jesus is not up in heaven saying, man, did you see how good of a husband he was on Friday? Like, you give good gifts to your wife to be in good favor with her, not with God, all right? God's not like, wow, those flowers. All right, I'll save you now, right? That's not what Jesus is pleading. He is not pleading, hey, he read all of 1 John. She brought her Bible this morning. No, that is not what he pleads. Our advocate does not plead our innocence. Rather, your Savior acknowledges your guilt. Jesus is saying, Ryan Hornsby, she's guilty. And her husband, he's guilty. That's what Jesus is pleading. But then he says, but let me offer my blood for grounds of their acquittal. Yes, they're guilty. Yes, they deserve eternity in hell. But here is my blood shed for them. And they have trusted in me. That is what he pleads. I love how John Piper words it. He says, if you put together verses 1 and 2, surely the answer is that Christ is our eternity. And his portfolio is his propitiation. He stands before his Father in heaven, and every time we sin, he doesn't make a new propitiation. He doesn't die again and again. Instead, he opens his portfolio, and he lays the exhibits of Good Friday on the bench before the judge. Photographs of the crown of thorns, the lashing, the mocking soldiers, the agonies of the cross, and the final cry of victory. It is also, listen, if you walked in here and you were in despair, thinking, how can God forgive me again? Man, I was just here last week, and I had just said, God, forgive me, and I don't want to do this anymore. And as soon as I left here, I did it again. If you walked in this place filled with despair, here's your point of application. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus every single day for he is your righteous advocate and he is the sacrifice on behalf of your sins. I like what Ligon Duncan writes. He says, the fight against sin is ongoing and it will not end until the day that you are taken up to glory. Look, if you were taught that when you came to faith in Christ, life was gonna get easy, sin was gonna disappear, I'm sorry your pastor lied to you because that's not the Christian life. Not the Christian life. You are going to fight and wrestle against sin every single day of your life, and you will until you get to glory. So keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus.
He's your righteous advocate. He has paid the penalty for your sins. He has satisfied the wrath of God in your place. He is your hope. So look to Jesus. And lastly, let me point out one more thing, and that is this. Jesus is the only hope for the forgiveness of sins. What he says in verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What is John teaching here? Let me tell you what he's not teaching. He is not teaching universalism as some believe. John is not saying that Jesus Christ, through his death, everyone in the world is going to be saved. That we're all going to go to heaven, we're all going to be saved. That's not what John is teaching. What this verse is teaching us is that the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. And that is available for the whole world. So John, right, being a Jew, is saying, hey, look, salvation isn't just for the Jews. It's for the world. It's for the Gentiles. Right? Salvation is for everyone. It is available to all those who will call upon the name of Jesus. That is good news. Jesus saves. Red, yellow, black, and white, Jew or Gentile, slave and free, male and female, Jesus Christ saves for the sins of the whole world. Here's the reality this morning. Not everyone in this room, everyone in this world is going to heaven when they die. You do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You are going to hell. You say, Pastor, how dare you say that? I didn't say it. Jesus did. He spoke about hell a lot. Those who will go to hell are those who have never confessed their sins to Jesus, never confessed uh, their need for Jesus to save them and never confess that Jesus Christ alone is able to save them. They never confess with their mouth and believed in their heart. Jesus is Lord and God had raised him from the dead. And yet, what does this say? Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. We are surrounded by people who resist the good news of the gospel that if they would just believe, would be saved. So here's the point of application for you and I. Let us be a people who tell others about Jesus. Let us be a people who understand, yes, Jesus is interceding for me. He's pleading on my behalf. But he also can do that for my neighbor and for my unsaved family members and for that stranger at Walmart, for that person I work with who is hurting. If they would believe and trust in Jesus, his blood would cover them as well. Ryan texted me a couple weeks ago and said, man, I got to tell you what your kid just said. Kids say crazy things. Um, so they were sitting down to eat, and Ryan said, Malachi, can you say prayers before you eat? Do you remember your school prayer? And so this was obviously not the school prayer, but this was Malachi's prayer. God, I love you so much. It starts really good. God, I love you so much. And I love TV and getting to watch Harry Huggle Monster, the end. Right? That's, that's funny. He's four years old. And his mind, God, and TV are on the same level. 
right? God and Harry, Henry, whatever the show is called, Huggle Monster, it's on the, it's on the same level. We know it's not. And part of our job is to teach him this may be fun, but this won't save you, right? This, this isn't as good as, as God is. So, so here's my question for you. What do you love? What do you love? But if you're honest, is there anything that you would say that you're putting right up there with your love for God? Is there any sin or anything of the world that, that's up there for you? What can this do for you? other than give you temporary satisfaction that only sends you to hell. When your father is in heaven listening to the advocate your son plead on your behalf this morning, what are you committed to this morning? Are you Christ committed? Are you going to say this morning, look, I am trusting in the sufficiency of Christ to save me from my sins. And will you say this morning, you know what? I love the Son, Jesus, and I want to love the people He has created more than I do. And I want to love the gospel so much that I'm willing to start opening my mouth to telling these people who may be on their way to hell about the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our advocate. He is the righteous one. He is the propitiation for your sin. Are you committed to to Christ. Do you know Christ? If you don't, then give your life to Jesus this morning. I plead with you. And if you do know Jesus, you are living in habitual sin. I don't have a cross, a piece of paper, and nails. I don't need that. Because right now the Spirit of God, I pray, is speaking to your heart and saying, confess all of your sin and begin to walk with me, begin to pursue holiness. If there's somebody that needs the Lord Jesus Christ and you're aware of that and you know them by name, listen, Jesus maybe isn't interceding for them because the blood hasn't covered them, but you can intercede for them right now. You can go to the one who is interceding on your behalf and you can intercede on the behalf of that spouse or that child or that friend who has rejected Jesus and you can plead. They will come to believe and call upon the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy as we move into this time of invitation. Lord, as we sing uh, a hymn that we have sung so many times at this time, just as I am. Father, remind us that when you saved us, you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, so God, we come to you as sinners. We don't clean up our act before we come to you. We come to you as sinners, and we receive the forgiveness and the grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we, we take hold of Jesus who becomes our advocate, and he becomes, he is the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sins, the one who took the wrath of God that was to be poured out on me. Jesus, you drank the cup of God's wrath dry. So that God, you are not the judge that will condemn me you are my Father who has rescued me from hell and has adopted me into the family as a son of God. And that changes everything. So Father, my prayer this morning is that we'll just be reminded we never stop looking to you, Father. We never stop looking to Jesus. 
And as we look to Jesus, as we pursue holiness, may we become men and women who begin to live and profess that Jesus Christ is the only way. Oh God, do a work in us. Save the person who has never believed. Convict the person who is living in sin. And oh God, may the person who is wrestling with their despair experience your grace and your forgiveness. And may they hear the words, son, daughter, you are mine. And you are love. Father, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to we're going to sing just as I am. I'll be here at the front. If you need prayer, the altar is open as always. Come and pray. this morning you felt the spirit of God speaking to you and, and you wanted to step out but maybe you were afraid a lot of people in here and if you don't know Jesus Christ I'm going to stick around for a little while I, I do that every week just come see me and say hey pastor I, I want to believe and I want to trust in Jesus and I will share the gospel uh, with you I hope you look at the bulletins there are a lot of announcements let me just point out one because uh, it's next week uh, we're going to have a drop in baby shower for a young a lady named Kaylee. Uh, that shower is going to be next Sunday, immediately following uh, the worship service. Kaylee is a client with Coweta Pregnancy Services. And so we just have an opportunity as a church to minister to her, uh, to love on her. Um, single mom, uh, really no family. And so we get to step in and kind of fill that gap and just to provide a great need for her and the child. And so that's right after the service. You can just pop in there um, and do that. There's some more information. Let me remind you that it is winter break, and because of that, there will be no services tonight, and there'll be nothing going on Wednesday. Uh, so those of you who are serving each and every week, uh, take you a nap, rest, um, recharge, and, uh, and then you'll come back the following week raring and ready to go. Uh, Brother Larry is going to uh, close us with a word of prayer. He is the deacon of the week. Larry, if you want to come on at this time. Um, just so you know, most of you probably know this, but Larry is having surgery on Wednesday, uh, a double knee replacement. One was not enough. He thought, well, I'll just go for two while I'm in there. Hey, is that half the price? <laughs> we'll find out. So if you will, do you know the time yet for that? You don't. So just Wednesday, be in prayer for, uh, for Larry. We love you, brother, and we'll be praying for you. And, uh, man, you guys need anything when this is over we're church family we're brothers and sisters you let us know and we'll be there to help you guys so pray for them thank you larry close us in prayer